0: Hi, hey everyone. Today's guest is Nathan Buchbinder, the founder and chief product officer at ProShia, a company with a mission to perfect cancer diagnosis with intelligent software that changes the way the world practices pathology. In this episode, you'd be able to learn more about how diagnostic labs and life science organizations are using a data-driven approach to pathology with ProShia AI-powered products. Nathan is an amazing and resilient founder. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Hi Nathan, where does this podcast find you?
1: This podcast finds me in the beautiful city of Philadelphia.
0: Oh, how did you end up in Philly? Give us the headline news and like cliff notes of your background.
1: I attended Johns Hopkins University Mm -hmm. in Baltimore, which is where I was when I helped co-found Prosha. But what we were finding is that a lot of our talent was coming from Philadelphia. There's some great schools here, great hospital systems. We're very close to a lot of pharma companies. And so we moved the company to where the talent was. We've been in Philadelphia since 2018 and are excited to see how the city is growing and how we're growing with it.
0: Great. I'm really interested what made you start ProHa. Were there any particular observations you know about the market or the customer problems?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we started Prosha back when we were at Hopkins, me and my two co-founders, David and Coleman. We were doing research in various different cancer labs, pathology laboratories. And What we saw was that this field of pathology, which influences 70% of clinical decisions, accounts for the vast majority of diagnostic insights that we gain about a patient, hasn't changed in the last 150 years. We saw that There were big challenges that come from that. So, to be clear, pathologists do an amazing job of recognizing patterns on biopsy images and translating those into diagnoses. But there are still some innate elements of subjectivity, inefficiency, and other broader macro challenges that have made it difficult for pathologists' supply to keep up with biopsy and diagnostic demand. And at the same time, we saw that the technology in this space was starting to evolve to the point where technology actually could serve as a solution to address some of these big challenges. Mm -hmm. That's where we stepped in, that's where we recognized the opportunity and the potential to change the way that the world practices pathology.
0: Let's try to do a deep dive now and could you tell us more about the current landscape and current trends of the pathology software market? Like you know, who are your main competitors and what are the current
1: most interesting niches? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the landscapes, digital pathology in some way, shape, or form has been around for about 15 or 20 years, but it's really matured in the last 5 to 10. Technology has actually enabled higher throughput enterprise-grade software solutions. There are two broad sub-segments of the digital pathology, you know, pathology software market. One is the life sciences, so pharma companies, contract research organizations, Academic institutions, government institutions that are conducting research. The other is the diagnostics market. So, what you would typically think of as a pathology lab. The life sciences market, that first subsegment, has been some of the fastest adopters of digital pathology. They recognize the potential that the software held to both help them capitalize on the data that they were creating on a routine basis and engage with their peers, collaborate in a global enterprise scale. They've been really rapid adopters of the technology. What we see more recently, though, is that the diagnostic market, the clinical pathology laboratories that are typically responsible for actually giving a diagnosis to patients, have been, over the last two to three years, really stepping up the pace of adoption as well. They're accelerating their introduction of new technology, of new software at a much more rapid pace than ever before, both in Europe, which is where this trend really started and in the United States and in the rest of the world as well. In terms of the software itself, we look at the broader market landscape from competition to applications and value creation across two key pillars. The first is platform and the second is artificial intelligence. So when you think about why a lab wants to go digital, AI is a big driver of digital pathology adoption, just the notion of adding efficiency, productivity, new insight coming from computational applications that analyze these images is very appealing to most labs. But in order to get there, you need a platform, you need an operating system that allows you to work with these images, view these images, analyze these images, share them, collaborate on them, better organize and maintain them. We offer solutions on both fronts, on the platform operating system side, that's our platform Concentric, and with artificial intelligence.
0: So kind of working on the workflow, plus a cherry on the top, which is AI. Let's now focus then on Concentric. Could you tell us more, how are you changing the daily workflow for pathologists?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. When a laboratory adopts digital pathology, it's a massive paradigm shift for the entire laboratory operation. Everyone from the pathologists and the researchers, of course, but also the technicians, the lab managers, the administrators, they all have to shift from mentality that centers around the flow of glass slides through the lab, which is how you've traditionally viewed them under a microscope, to a digital workflow. Concentric sits at the heart of that. It's the center of gravity for these labs. It really is truly the operating system for digital workflows, for image-based workflows. So some examples of what Concentric is doing include enabling instant access to experts from around the world. Pathologists, instead of having to ship glass slides to get a consult, simply log on and can request a consult from any number of experts that are a part of their organization or that are a part of any other organization. Another great example is various assays, various tests, which historically have been centered around either molecular testing or staining of the tissue to look for particular patterns. A lot of those tests are shifting towards digital analogs where the software itself is able to analyze and assess and measure various properties of the tissue. And all of this has meant that there's a need for some core platform, some core operating system that the pathologist can actually interact with this data with can interact with results, can request results, can request these consults, can look at these images at a fundamental level. That's concentric. It really is that center point for all things digital.
0: Okay. And what our audience truly loves is listening about finding product market fit. We all know it's probably the hardest thing to do in our lives as entrepreneurs. So could you tell us more about your current core business model and how do you see it evolving with time?
1: Absolutely. So I'll touch first on product market fit and then jump into the core business model. It wasn't an instant thing. Pathologists have historically not really worked very much with software. The closest they've come to software is the lab information system. It's the pathology lab's equivalent of an electronic health record. And when we started to introduce our software, what we recognized very quickly is just how important a compelling user experience is for the pathologist. It seems obvious in hindsight, but It took several iterations. Uh, We're on the fourth generation of our platform, Concentric Now, which we released in June of this past year. But it took us several iterations to get to the point where we said we have a software that delivers an experience, a fit from a user's perspective. That gives them a compelling reason to want to go digital, as opposed to feeling as if it's a painful process to make that transition, to make that shift. And we're seeing the results of that. It's remarkable to hear our users talk about how much they love operating within the platform concentric. Now, in terms of the business model, if we take a step back again, I mentioned before, there's platform and AI. There's the core operating system, and there's the computational applications that layer in on top. What we recognize is that artificial intelligence is a big driver for digital pathology adoption. A lot of labs are looking at this new technology and saying there's going to be something, whether it's one particular application or a wide range of applications, that make it a no-brainer, that make it extremely compelling for me to go digital. But in order to do that, they need an operating system. And so our approach is to deliver an extremely compelling enterprise-grade and open platform in the form of concentric Deliver that as a SaaS model so that we have a commitment to our customers about continuous improvement of the product, high-quality product over time, updates and upgrades to continue to support new features and functionality, and have that platform serve as a vehicle for laboratories to then adopt not just Procha's applications, but any third-party application as well and introduce that natively and seamlessly into the routine workflow. And the reason it's particularly important in pathology is because pathology doesn't study just one disease. It doesn't even just study cancer at a broad level. It studies hundreds, if not thousands, of different subtypes of disease, subtypes of tissue. And each of those, comes with their own set of problems that artificial intelligence can solve. No one company, no one solution vendor is going to solve all of those problems. But our platform, Concentric, absolutely can serve as that center point to uh, coalesce all of that information, all of those applications, and to deliver it in a compelling way to our customers, to laboratories, to hospitals, and, and other diagnostic centers.
0: And, you know, I started thinking about what your customers measure. You know, I'm myself a huge geek and I love measuring things. You for sure know the book Measure What Matters by John Dower. Of course. Is there any particular ROI for your customers and, you know, metrics they, they care about?
1: So there are some very big, obvious ones. Efficiency, productivity, mm-hmm. turnaround time, which is actually an extremely important metric for these laboratories. How they measure their own success, diagnostic accuracy. But... Interestingly, there's another measure that turns out to be just as important, which I hit on earlier, which is customer experience, user experience, user satisfaction, Mm -hmm. how long it takes for somebody to learn the system. The reason that that's so important is because, again, we're asking pathologists who have gone through four years of medical school plus additional years of residency plus additional years of training and fellowship to become the expert that they are. And we're now asking them to completely change the way that they operate on a day-to-day basis, their willingness to do it, their enthusiasm to do it. And the success that they see in doing it is very much tied to how easy it is for them to use and gain familiarity with and gain comfort with our platform. And so, of course, maybe this is the product geek coming out of me. Maybe this is a little (laughs) bit of the technologist stepping in here, but I strongly feel that, of course, the metrics around laboratory performance are very important, but equally as significant is how comfortable are users, pathologists in particular, but how comfortable are users in general using our platform?
0: Would you call it one of your, say, killer features?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the pathologist centricity of our platform, Concentric, is one of the three or four biggest selling advantages of Concentric alongside uh, general performance, scalability, and openness and interoperability to our AI application and others.
0: Okay. And in one of your previous interviews, you said that your AI is helping with the visual chaos. Tell us more about how you're specifically using AI at ProShare.
1: Yeah, so there are a number of different ways that artificial intelligence can influence and impact the role of the pathologist. You can start at the highest of levels, and we're doing this today by helping to identify cases that should be prioritized, that should be triaged ahead of others, that should be delivered specifically and earlier to expert pathologists that are more difficult or that require additional staining, additional testing. Um, That's one way that AI can impact the role of the pathologist, even in just the lightest of weight. But beyond that, we're developing artificial intelligence that can help make measurements that the pathologist is not able to consistently make today. We can help deliver new information about the patterns, the arrangements of tissue, the arrangements of individual cells or, or various features and properties about the tissue that have a diagnostic impact and deliver a quantitative assessment that the pathologist can then use to inform their own diagnosis, inform their own recommendations. And increasingly, what we're finding is that there are correlations that the human eye and the human mind just can't detect, that the information is just not available to the pathologist in front of their own eyes under the microscope or on our platform concentric Without artificial intelligence, correlations, disease, metastasis, or progression, or likelihood of recurrence, that artificial intelligence can play a role in helping to assess. And ultimately, the role of the pathologist increasingly becomes one in which they are taking in all of this new information. They're of course still leveraging their ability to identify these patterns on their own, but they're now having all of this new diagnostic insight or prognostic insight through artificial intelligence that helps to deliver better patient care.
0: Let's now talk about a specific use case. I've recently read that Procia recently shared the results of a prospective study testing the Derm AI software on skin biopsies from two different labs, right? And the AI detected melanoma in situ, and invasive melanoma, with a sensitivity of 93% and a specificity of 91%. Tell us more.
1: What we're talking about here is one of our AI focuses in dermatopathology, skin pathology, for those who aren't in the medical space already. Skin pathology accounts for about one-third of all of the cases, all of the biopsies that get taken around the world. So it is a massive bulk of the work that the pathologist and that the laboratory does. It's also a very challenging subspecialty, not because your average case is enormously difficult, but because instead, you're looking at hundreds of cases a day for a pathologist, which is really rapid volume, a really rapid pace of case review. You have to move quickly, but you're really afraid of missing that needle in the haystack, which is melanoma. Melanoma is a very deadly form of skin cancer. And it's something that everybody should be checked for on a regular basis. It's also something that's not easy to distinguish from some of its benign mimickers, from some benign lesions, harmless skin conditions that look visually similar to melanoma. So that needle in the haystack problem, looking for the 1.5% or 2% of cases that are melanoma and distinguishing them from all of these other diagnoses, it's very difficult. It can be time-consuming. And if you imagine now that you're a laboratory that has hundreds or even thousands of cases coming in on a daily basis, and your job is to find the two or three or four melanoma cases, that's a problem. What we've done is we've built an artificial intelligence solution, we call it DermAI, that is able to automate. Automatically read and categorize any of these skin biopsies to help to sort out the cases that are highest likelihood of being high-risk melanocytic lesions, high-risk melanoma in situ. And that's what the study tested. So, of course, we had tested this technology before retrospectively, so on data sets that are historic that look backwards in time. But we believe that it was essential to demonstrate that artificial intelligence has the capacity to account for All of the variations and fluctuations that you see in routine practice, whether it's coming from how slides are prepared or how they're digitized or how the pathologist is working with them, account for all of that variation and still show the results, still show this performance. At the end of the day, we're still talking about a technology that's being researched and tested and studied, but what we're finding is that we're achieving performance that really could make a massive impact for these laboratories and for the pathologists themselves.
0: And have you already published paper from the study? I mean, the full paper, not just the abstract?
1: Coming soon, coming very soon. So we'll make sure that that's accessible to this audience here. But you can also watch a few recordings that we have where we discuss some of these results. We recorded a webinar with some of the study principal investigators and our own vice president of artificial intelligence R&D that I think would be an excellent resource to anybody who wants to learn more about that study.
0: We'll definitely put a link under the episode. You know, there are probably a lot of uh, my fellow physicians, my friends, who are also pathologists listening to this podcast. What if some of them like think, okay, I want to start using Proshare? How long does it take for a new customer to start using your product? What's the implementation kind of time window?
1: It really is very fast. Obviously, every lab is different. Every hospital system or reference laboratory is set at its own uh, phase of the digital pathology adoption journey. So if you don't have any scanners, for example, the hardware that you need to digitize these images, that's the first step. You have to acquire the scanners. But in general, we're talking a matter of a few weeks, uh, maybe a couple of months total to go from saying, I would like to get this implemented to having it up and running, having it live. It could be faster even than that. One thing that I think is really important is that it's not just about how long it takes to get the software installed. What we're really focused on is how long does it take for pathologists to feel comfortable using the system as a part of their routine practice. And that's again, somewhere where we excel. We've conducted studies on this as well, human factors studies and and some similar research. And what we found is that within 30 minutes of training, the pathologists felt extremely comfortable using the software as if it was an extension of their own knowledge.
0: That's really super quick. I'm impressed. Let's try to look into the future. So what are the next steps for Procia as a company and as a product? Talk to us about the next like 10-year vision.
1: I think we're at an inflection point. I think we're at a tipping point in which a data-centric approach to pathology that leverages computational applications, leverages the computing power that's available to us today, really shifts the scales and turns the pathologist into an informaticist, turns the diagnostician into a purveyor of diagnostic knowledge and somebody whose job it is to not purely detect patterns but also to understand what those patterns mean translate those more directly into clinical practice, and then work even more closely as a part of the clinical care team. I anticipate that in the next 10 years, we're going to find that the vast majority of what we call Hollywood diseases, essentially the best known cancers, the ones that get all the attention, are going to have artificial intelligence play a role in making that diagnosis. What that means for the patient is that we could expect to see faster turnaround time, additional information about treatment recommendations, diagnostic confidence improves. And the role of the pathologist, again, increasingly becomes one in which they are a true knowledge center, somebody who's not just a pattern recognition machine, but instead somebody who can help interpret those patterns and translate it into better patient care. I think we're getting there very quickly. And ProSha is playing a key role as the center of that AI-enabled digital workflow with our platform concentric and with our own AI applications.
0: Let's now switch gears and talk about Nathan as a founder. Tell us about your personal motivations. Why are you doing this?
1: We truly fundamentally believe at Prosha that we are a unique position to make a world of a difference to anybody who is involved in the process of diagnosing cancer and anybody who's impacted by diseases like cancer. As one of the founders of Prosha, I've seen the journey that we've had, always the ups and downs, never just a linear course of upward momentum. There's always some challenges to overcome. But throughout all of that, recognizing that we're in a position to make an enormous impact on the lives of patients, millions of patients every year who get diagnosed with diseases like cancer, that really truly is a motivation. And it can sound kind of corny or cheesy to say that, but I think that there are so many different problems to solve and the little anybody for tackling the problems that they're looking at but it's very rare to be in a position to do something so meaningful and so impactful in such a big way. And that is truly a driver for us. We have a set of core values at ProSha, And the one that stands out most to me is do good. We really are in a position to do good for the world.
0: You're right. What you're doing is a real game changer for us as humanity. What would be like your advice for other digital health founders? They're mainly people starting their companies or raising their seed rounds. What would be this thing they should focus on?
1: Well, I actually think you hit the nail on the head with the question itself. I think one thing that individuals early on miss is the notion of focus. There are so many problems to solve. There's so much excitement. And for anybody who's an entrepreneur, I think there's a natural tendency, a positive feedback loop to start uncovering problems left and right, to start developing solutions left and right. I would suggest to find a problem, find a problem that's meaningful, focus on it, focus on building a solution for it. I'm saying focus a lot. It really, truly boils down to that. Do something that you're passionate about. Do it very well. Find something that you can do different, something that you can do better. And don't get tempted by all of the side branches, by all of the other seemingly curious opportunities that come up along the side. There will always be an opportunity to go back and re-explore those. But my advice is to really remain committed, focused, and driven on what you know you're aiming to do.
0: And is there anything in particular that our listeners should read, listen, or watch? Do you have any recent inspirations?
1: So one thing that I always turn back to is any of the conferences, any of the talks that Some of the big tech companies give around their annual events or product launches. So I'm thinking of companies like Apple or Google or Tesla, companies which it would be very easy to describe in a a somewhat mundane or boring way, but which have managed to invent themselves as a companies that are defining culture, that are defining society today. They're not just technology companies. They're not just product companies, although they obviously sell technology and products. They're companies that have a spirit, that have an attitude. And whether it's understanding how to tell a story, which I think is an extremely important skill to have, or understanding how to put into context the work that the company is doing, build enthusiasm around something, communicate effectively. These events that the CEOs of Apple, Google, Tesla, and and other similar technology companies hold are an amazing opportunity to learn from the best and the brightest, not just in terms of inspiration of the ideas that they have, but also how they convey it and how they build their passions.
0: That's great advice. Nathan, thank you for joining today and thank you for being a guest.
1: It's a real pleasure, Oscar. Thank you.
0: Producers Michelle, Carol is our editor. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to DigiSection from the Health Podcast Network.